Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, listeners. I wanted to bring a sense of mortality in our story lineup. We'll be covering the topic of death, and specifically, accidental, preventable, or purely by chance created death. These are true stories, accounts by people like you or me, whose lives have been shaken and changed forever. This is a warning up front. This is not an episode for little ears. Just going to repeat this. Not an episode for little ears. And not to be taken lightly. I cover suicide, car accidents, shooting, and more in this episode. If you're feeling good, this may ruin your mood. If you're feeling awful, skip this episode. I won't be adding music, and I won't be sharing the names of those that shared these stories for privacy reasons. So, buckle up for some morbid stories, and just for a short time, let the sense of mortality slither in. Story 1 It's been eight years, and I still think about it every single day. I get anxiety when driving at night, or in bad weather, or if other people are in the car. I've recently started receiving some therapy and it has helped a bit, but at this point I can't imagine not feeling guilty. I was the driver in a car accident in which my best friend died. She was one of the five passengers. We were 19, and I was the designated driver after a night out, so I was sober. I was driving my roommate's car, and when getting onto the interstate, I got too close to the rail on the side and overcorrected. I lost control of the car and it flipped. Everyone else was relatively unscratched. Two people received a few stitches, but that's it. This friend and another passenger were riding in the very back of the SUV. The friend had also borrowed my roommate's car a few days earlier, and she had picked up these large cement pieces that are sidewalk inlays that had the name of the streets in the city in which they lived, and those giant cement pieces were still in the back where they were sitting. She sustained most of her injuries from those cement blocks. She lived to make it to the hospital, and her parents were able to get there, but the injuries were so extensive that the doctors said she would be in a vegetative state if they could even save her. Her parents opted out of that option. She would have hated to live like that. I would give anything to go back to that night. I would take a different route home, or not join them at all. I miss her a lot. Story 2 About five years ago, I hit an old lady in the street while I was on my motorcycle. I believe she was dead on the scene, but wasn't pronounced dead until the hospital. I wasn't drinking or speeding, She just ran across the street chasing the bus. I always remember the instant she turned to look at me before I hit her. It definitely shook me up, and I'm rather sensitive to crossing the street, especially jaywalking or outside of a crosswalk. Every once in a while I get a flashback, and kind of shudder, just remembering everything, replaying it over and over. I still live near where it happened, and 
have to drive the street occasionally. I always am cautious now in areas with lots of pedestrians, watching carefully to make sure no one is crossing. I think it didn't help that at the spot I hit her, I've had cars or people try to cross before, cutting me off. I remember the day it happened. I was driving slower than I might usually because I knew it was a trouble spot. There's still that what if I hadn't driven it, or what if I saw her before she started crossing. I'll always have that with me, knowing she died, and her kids and grandkids never saw her again. Knowing she was trying to get to work, to provide for her family, only to get killed by someone else on his way to work. It's terrible. I'd never spoken to her family, though her son was at the scene that day, and I can't imagine what they went through. But I hope they know it wasn't intentional or neglect on my part, and I hope they are doing okay. Sometimes, I imagine what it would be like to meet them. I don't know what I would say. Or do. Story 3 I used to be an airline pilot for a relatively large regional airline. Because I didn't make much money doing it, I worked as a flight instructor on my days off from the airline. One day, a student of mine and I were up practicing some maneuvers over an area with a lot of trees. As we were finishing up and about to go back to the airport, our engine started acting weird. It was a bit rough and we lost RPM. No big deal, I thought. I figured we were just running the mixture too lean. So I enriched it, but had no improvement. I started heading towards a field we passed a few miles back. It wasn't big, but it was our best shot if things got worse, as the airport was something like 15 miles away. The engine only got worse. I was having trouble maintaining altitude, and I radioed in a mayday call with our position. Eventually, the engine died completely. I tried to restart, but nothing worked. As we were lining up our final approach, we made sure the airplane was secured and all that. Turns out the field was much smaller than I thought. We touched down, and it was extremely rough. I had a lot of pressure on the brakes, trying not to lock them. The trees were coming up very fast, and I decided we weren't going to stop, so I tried to get the airplane back on its front wheels and slam on the brakes to make it flip so we could at least stop. I thought about it too late, and we smashed straight into a big tree. I can't remember very clearly getting out, but I do remember seeing my student in the front seat slouched over with his head to the side. I tried to yell for him to get out and realised his eyes were open. The local police arrived within minutes of touching down, and later, they said they saw us coming in. They got my student out and took me to a hospital to be looked at and x-rayed because I had bad pain in my neck and back. They pronounced my student dead at the scene, his neck snapped, on impact. I didn't have any legal action taken against me or anything. It was deemed that I did the right thing in the situation. I just wished I could have gotten the plane to flip over. I feel guilty. His wife blamed me and tried to sue me. Now, I have extreme anxiety and don't fly anymore. I wish I could bring myself to it because I truly loved it. I work construction now because I've always loved building stuff and fixing up the house. I'm 36 years old now and have it on my bucket list to fly one last time. Story 4 Several years ago I accidentally killed two kids. I was driving on the highway and my front right tyre exploded. 
This caused me to lose control of my car. When my car swerved, it went into the opposite lane of traffic, slamming into the rear side of a car. After the accident, I was emotionally destroyed for months. I would never get into a car, not even as a passenger. Anytime anyone tried to convince me or coax me into it, I would have a small breakdown. A week after the accident, the parents of the kids, who were also in the car but somehow relatively unharmed, invited me to their kids' funeral. I went, expecting them to hurl every insult imaginable at me. Possibly, the father of my victims would even beat the shit out of me. No matter what was said or done to me, I would have deserved it. But when I got there, the both of them came up to me and immediately hugged me and told me it wasn't my fault. Here were two people whose lives I had essentially ruined and they were trying to mend my broken heart when it should have been the reverse. The moment they said those words to me was like some indescribable pain because I knew I didn't deserve such kindness, especially from them. To this day, I still do not drive, though I do get into cars where other people are driving though. It causes me great anxiety. I also go to therapy weekly and have moved from the suburbs to the city, so I can live a daily life that does not require having a personal vehicle, because I just can't ever see myself behind the wheel again. I will forever regret that day, and would gladly give my life if it meant those kids could be alive again. But unfortunately, life isn't ever that fair. Story 5 Without a doubt, one of the hardest things I've ever been through. I was driving to meet my mum for dinner, near her work after class. It was maybe 7pm. I typically take the highway when heading out that way. But it was a nice day, so I decided to take the back roads. Along the way, there was a cyclist going along. I noticed him, but he was in the bike lane which was decently sized. The road was 45 miles per hour, but I had slowed down some. As I got closer, I made sure to get closer to the center line to give him some space. Then, once I'm barely a few yards from the guy, he decided to turn directly in front of my car. He didn't make any indication that he would be turning. He didn't so much as look, and there wasn't an intersection in the area. But nonetheless, here he was, directly in the path of my car, with barely a few feet separating us. I remember very distinctly everything seemed to slow down. I reflexively slammed onto my brakes as hard as I physically could. I watched in agony as my car screeched toward him. The last thing I remember is his body coming up onto my windshield. The sound of crunching metal and breaking glass and the blood. Supposedly, I had called the cops hysterically begging for help. When they had arrived, I was on the ground, kneeling next to the man sobbing as he laid face down on the sidewalk not moving. He was pronounced dead at the scene. After the accident, I went numb. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I was so nauseous. I could barely stand. And in the few moments when I could get myself together, I was forced to have the same conversation over and over with police, lawyers, detectives, on what had happened. Always pressing for more details. It was torturous and felt never-ending. Months later, 
after the investigation was concluded, I learned that the cyclist, apart from not wearing a helmet, was a homeless drug addict, and was likely high on heroin at the time of the accident. But that didn't come out until months after it had happened. It had been published in the local papers that a cyclist had been killed in a car accident. It was a big story for the town, and I saw it everywhere online. I know I shouldn't have, but I would read the comments people left on the article, all saying things like, the driver was probably texting, it's so unsafe out there for cyclists, and other things insinuating that it was my fault. I internalized it, even though I'm absolutely certain I was paying attention. Part of me keeps thinking thoughts about how I might have looked down at some point to perhaps adjust the radio, and I didn't see his signal. That I missed my opportunity to avoid this. That somehow it is my fault. For a long time after the incident, I was very far from okay. I was dependent on sleeping pills to get any sleep at all, and my appetite dwindled. Every time I got into a car, even if I wasn't driving, I felt panicked. A few years later, and after a lot of intensive therapy, and now, I'm mostly okay. I still have occasional nightmares and can remember the sound like it just happened. I haven't fully forgiven myself for it, and I'm not sure if I ever will. But it doesn't stop me from living my day-to-day life anymore. Story 6 When I was six, I got a full-size Snickers bar while trick-or-treating. My mum was on the front step hanging out with our neighbour Tom. Tom was an adult. And I remember showing them my chocolate bar and him being impressed that I got a full-size one. He told me it was his favourite and I really don't like Snickers so I gave it to him. He acted so excited and said he was going to hide later and eat it so he wouldn't have to share. The next day, Tom was found dead in the bathroom from complications of type 1 diabetes. When I asked my mum what that meant, she said, because I was six at the time, that it means he can't have sugar. I genuinely believed, for about six years, that I killed that man. I figured he hid in the bathroom, and after all that sugar, he had died. And I felt guilty for six years. I had trouble hanging out with his kids, and then... When they went to juvenile detention centers, I felt like I was personally ruining their lives with the chocolate bar, because they were stuck with their batshit crazy mum. It wasn't until I met a kid with diabetes who kept yoo-hoos in his desk that I realized they can and should have sugar. I asked my health teacher about it, and she started to explain, and I started to freak out. Sobbing and shaking as a 12-year-old. They called my mum and she came to get me. I just kept trying to tell her I didn't kill Tom. And she was like, Sweetie, I know. He was an alcoholic and it killed him. So I didn't actually kill someone, but I believed I did. Story 7 I am a surgical resident in the United States and I lost a patient that I know was my fault. I can't go into much detail due to patient privacy, but I can say she was a young woman with her husband and young kids, who was in for routine weight loss surgery. She had complications the day after surgery, but I was on hour 36 of a long weekend call and I missed it when I checked on her. She coded and died. We managed to get her to the OR and reoperate, but she languished for weeks in the SICU. We eventually had to withdraw care 
and I'll never forget the heartbreak in her husband's eyes. He told me he forgave me, but I never forgave myself. After all, she was having the surgery to keep up with her young kids, and I took that from them. I had a head injury that took me out for a few months earlier in the year, and those two traumas combined sent me into a deep spiral. I started drinking and doing terrible at work. I couldn't sleep, and I had nightmares. I developed a deep anxiety and depression, and I ended up losing my fiancé of four years, as well as, most recently, my job. It's been two and a half hard years, and my depression just lost me my current girlfriend. I started counselling this week to recover, and I'm hopefully going to be able to salvage my career. I already feel better. I guess to answer the question, the death has destroyed my life. But I'm determined to pick up the pieces and not let it destroy my future. Story 8 I was 19 years old, driving a friend of mine around my hometown because he hadn't been there in years. He had moved out of state many years before, was on a narrow country road, very hilly and windy. I am cresting the top of one hill, going a little faster than the speed limit, and a van comes up, driving right down the centre of that road. There's a steep embankment to the left, and a deep ditch to the right. I swerved to miss the van, realised I was going into the ditch, and swerved back. I ended up swerving completely around this van, and hit the embankment on the left. My car flipped down that hill seven times. I was wearing my seatbelt, but he wasn't. My side of the car was practically crushed. His barely had a dent. But because I was wearing my seatbelt, I just got glass embedded in my face and scalp and messed up my left eye, shoulder and hip. Because he was not wearing his seatbelt, he broke his neck. He blamed me for the accident and for everything that happened to him. So I've not heard from him since it happened. I can only assume he's dead now, as the life expectancy of full quadriplegics is pretty low. It's been 15 years. But no one gets in a vehicle that I am in without a seatbelt. Period. Story 9. When I was a teenager, I lived in a state that had very lax gun laws. I thought guns were cool, and my parents thought I was a responsible person, so they bought me a rifle and two handguns. I was generally responsible with them, always carried them unloaded, cleaned them, only shot them in the target range my father built, always kept them and the ammunition locked up. I had them for two years, and these safety precautions were drilled into me by my father, to the point where they were ingrained habits that I never skipped. One night, a friend of mine was staying over, and we were in my room just hanging out. Sometimes we would take out the revolver and practice twirling it on our fingers, quick drawing, stuff like that. This night, my friend wanted to do that, but instead of taking it out myself, I gave them the key. They took it out and were twirling it around. Then I took my turn. While I was fiddling with it, it went off and hit my friend. I ran out of the room screaming. The police were called and my friend was taken to the hospital, where they pronounced them dead. To this day, I have no idea how a live round was in that gun. I was sitting three feet away from them when they took it out of the lockbox it was in, so I'm certain they didn't put one in. I always checked the gun when I took it out, and before I put it away, 
My friend didn't check when they took it out, that night, and I didn't want to yell at them. We both had just went shooting the day before, and I remember checking the gun before putting it back, because I was explaining to my friend what the safety procedures were and went over checking it when putting it away. The only other person who had a key to the box was my father, and he said he hadn't touched the guns. After that, I was a complete emotional wreck. I was basically catatonic for months. It was near the end of the school year, and I don't remember taking finals, or if I had to make them up, or just got excused. It's a total blank. I was prosecuted and represented by the PD. I went to the court dates and sentencing, but I remember exactly zero of this. I don't remember what the ultimate charge or plea deal was, but I was sentenced to 1,000 hours of community service, so I suspect it was a firearm charge of some kind. My parents lost the paperwork in a move a while back and have since passed away. The court doesn't have records going that far back, so I have no way to see what my charges were or what the testimony or evidence consisted of. I wasn't a super popular person to begin with in school, and after this, I was less so. There were some people that became my friends after this, but most of the people I was friends with shunned me. It was a small town and everyone knew everything about everyone else. The parents of one of my closest friends even forbade me to go over their house or for them to come over mine. I thought that was harsh at the time, but now that I'm a parent myself, I totally understand. After high school, I developed a bit of a drinking problem and would always get emotional and incoherently sob about this event in my life to the people I was around. But I stopped drinking shortly thereafter. I've had a few significant others that I've told when things got a bit serious, and they broke up with me shortly afterwards, never outright telling me it was the reason, but the timing was too coincidental. So I stopped telling anyone. I stopped thinking about it. Eventually I made my peace with it, I guess. This was decades ago, and I only think about it occasionally now. I have a spouse and kids, and have mostly moved on with my life. But I, obviously, do not like guns. I have never owned nor touched a firearm since. I did not allow my children to have or use guns while they were young, and I always asked if the parents of my children's friends owned guns, and how they were stored before allowing them over. All of this was over three decades ago, and I always blame myself because I didn't check the gun when my friend got it out. I will always blame myself for being so cavalier and being so reckless with them. I will always wonder how that round got in the gun, and whether my father took it out and forgot his own rules, despite his denials. If my friend put it in slyly, for some unfathomable reason, or if I overlooked it, even though I clearly remember checking, I will never know how this happened, but will carry the guilt for the rest of my life. I haven't spoken of this in over ten years. Thank you for listening. It felt good to put it out there in the world. Sorry, Tam. I killed a man in a casino parking lot. My wife and kids were at home and I went to the casino to play a little bit. I don't drink, so that's pretty much what I do to get out. It was roughly 3am when I left the casino. I had played all the money I brought and walked to my car. I parked in the back under a parking lot light and when I opened my door, I sat sideways and texted my wife that I was on my way. A man came around the side of my car and pushed me into my car, my back laying against the side of the center console. 
He had a knife and demanded my phone, money, and keys. My gun is strapped to the front of the driver's seat, right above the adjustment bar. I drew it and shot him in the chest and abdomen five times. When the police arrived, they took me into custody and took my gun. Luckily, the light pole I parked under had a camera on it, so they had clear evidence of self-defense. The man had a cocktail of drugs in his system and was wanted for armed robbery. So, I don't lose much sleep over it, but I do think about it a lot. I wouldn't say I'm scared or anything, but it's definitely put the human mortality into perspective. I never had a court case or anything. I guess since it was an Indian casino, tribal police like to move that stuff along. I'm not very good at talking about it, but it did make me start thinking about how quickly things can happen. I still have that gun, but I carry a different one now. I just keep it in my nightstand safe, as a reminder. My wife doesn't bring it up or anything, we just kind of treat it as if it didn't happen. But I think about it a lot. It's been three years, but I can definitely tell you that all the people who act all big and bad about carrying are full of shit. It's not fun to have to shoot someone. It's not fun to have a flash thought of, what if this man kills me and I don't get to see my kids? I honestly wish I never had to shoot the man. Everyone deserves a second chance. But in that moment, I feared for my life and my children's future. In a perfect world, we wouldn't need guns. But we don't live in a perfect world. I'm still a firm believer in concealed carry, and I honestly believe that if I hadn't had my gun, I wouldn't be raising my four kids right now. Even though no one blames me, I still blame myself. I ended his life, but if he hadn't made the choice to attack me, he'd be alive. I don't know. I just have a hard time sorting it all out in my head, even after all this time. Story 11 I work as a cashier at a gas station, and about a month ago a man walked in and just stepped to the side. One of our sales reps looked at him, and when he asked if he was okay, he said he wasn't feeling good, and his brother was coming to pick him up to take him to the hospital. We asked if he needed an ambulance, he said no. Couple of minutes later, he thinks he's having a heart attack, and asks for a chair. I give him one and ignore his decline for an ambulance, and called one anyway because while on the phone with the ambulance, he started spazzing out, and the sales rep laid him on the floor, and the man was just shivering, and his arm was curling. The ambulance finally came, and he was carried on a stretcher, but I watched him take his last breath, shortly before the ambulance came. I still think, if I would have just ignored his first decline for the ambulance, that maybe the ambulance would have got him, and maybe saved him before it got too bad. Turns out, he had just left the hospital after open-heart surgery, and him and his girlfriend got into a fight on the way home. It was a chilly night. He made her pull over, and he got out of the car to walk the rest of the way. I guess the walking in that cold, after open-heart surgery, stressed his heart out. Craziest part, exactly a week later, a man walked in, stood in the same spot as the other man, knew he was having a heart attack, and asked for the ambulance right away. I called one, and he was saved. Story 12 A friend of mine is a boxer. He was at a professional match fighting against a friend. His opponent was acting a bit off. He wasn't sure if the fight should continue, but the ref and the coaches and his friend all said it was fine. He landed a punch, and it killed him dead in the ring. Brain aneurysm from the impact. Left behind a wife and a kid. 
There are people on the field and in the ring whose job it is to keep their players safe, and even they make bad calls or don't catch it. They are trained to see when something is wrong. You aren't. Serious injury and death is a risk in full contact sports, even when things are by the rules. To my friend, you were just playing the game to your best of your ability. It wasn't your fault. Story 13. I know there's plenty of people on here, far more affected by their stories than I have been, since the responsibility of my situation is debatable. When I was in my sophomore year of high school, my mother killed herself. Her own father had committed suicide a year previously, and my father had passed away months beforehand from steroid abuse. My mum was a mess. She said daily how she didn't want to live anymore, in a world where her father and husband were both gone. Her own mother was in the throes of very bad dementia, eventually progressing into Alzheimer's. She, my grandmother, had to be reminded daily of the fact that her husband had died. It was a bad time in my family. I'd been very close with my grandfather and had a poor relationship with my father. At the time, I was confused, grief-stricken, and just lost. I started having panic attacks at home and stayed late at school in my friends' homes so that I could evade the stressful environment. But I was my mother's rock. She had almost no friends where we lived because my father was abusive and tried very hard to keep her isolated. She'd said multiple times that I was her only friend. I should have been there for her. I should have been watching her. The day she died, I was supposed to be home from school already. She took that opportunity to down multiple bottles of Exedrin PM, and her body went into multi-system failure. If you've got a healthy relationship with your parents, never let them feel like you don't care anymore. My mother didn't leave a note, so I have no clue what could have been going on in her head. I just wish I'd been there for her, and done more to prevent what happened. And now for the last one for today. We had a relative living with us because he was going through chemo and radiation for cancer. He was getting mucus plugs, and we had to try and suction them out so he wouldn't choke. One morning I heard a knocking sound downstairs, and I thought it was my dad trying to wake me up. I decided to ignore it, but it kept knocking, so I went downstairs to see what was wrong. It was him, and he was choking on a mucus plug. I yelled for my parents to come help, but they wouldn't come. I went to check their room and they were gone. I tried to clear his throat myself, but I couldn't get it. He was awake and pointing to his throat when I got there, but I watched him die in front of me. I tried CPR, but it got to the point where the air wouldn't go down. My parents ended up going out of town early that morning, so they were not home, and I had to call my aunt, after 911, to come help me with the police and coroner stuff. This happened this past Christmas, and when I hear knocking, I have flashbacks and have had more mental breakdowns than I have let anyone know. And this concludes today's stories. So why did I do this episode? Well, sometimes I like to look in the mirror and watch the reflection, figuratively. How good we have it. How our problems seem minuscule when you compare them to another person's problems. The car accident story actually hits home for me because although I've never killed anyone, thank goodness, I have run over a teenage girl. And the cops said it was one way to hit on a lady. I didn't find it funny at the time, as you can imagine. 
I remember it just as I assume the others in these stories remember their own events, like they could recall it as if it happened seconds ago. I was driving on my way to work, and I saw this girl running across the street. She looked at this huge truck and dodged it with ease, not realizing that I was shadowing alongside it. She had no idea what hit her. I was watching her the entire time, and luckily I did, because I braked once I realized she intended to cross and wasn't looking. She was fine in the end, but let me tell you this, listeners. The feeling you get when the body goes under the bonnet is beyond fear. It's terror. The world didn't just stop, it froze. The feeling of ice and your chest tightening to the point where you feel like another breath would cause your ribs to break. The realization that the outcome of this event will forever change your life. Your body will cease to feel and you'll freeze like you're a corpse. All of this in around three to four seconds. So yeah, these stories hit home. And I consider myself extremely lucky. As well for the girl. Better me than the truck, right? What this does though, is reminds me how lucky I am to have my family, to have my friends, and to have you brilliant listeners. And it's stories like these that keep me grounded in reality and help me appreciate every morning when the sun rises up. One more thing. I want to touch on the suicide component of these stories. Suicide and depression are extremely difficult to detect. Not just because people's behavior can be unpredictable or ambiguous at times, but often these people can feel like they are a burden and choose to find ways to hide themselves from others and retreat instead of reaching out. This isn't advice, and I'm not a psychologist, but I want to impart this with that disclaimer. If you have a friend or a family member that's acting out of ordinary, reach out to them, talk to them, spend time with them. If you haven't heard from a friend in a while, reach out to them and talk to them. Something that simple can be enough to turn things around, with the essential question being, hey, how's it going? Have you been feeling of late? Or, what are you up to? That is all it takes sometimes to get the dialogue going. And I hope something this simple does help someone out there. If you or someone you know needs help in Australia, you can call Beyond Blue on 1300-224-636. If you're in Canada, you can reach out to Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention, 613-702-4446. And if you're in America, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. So let's take off the figurative black cloak that covers us at the moment and look forward to tomorrow. I have a creepypasta just for your ears called Static, and I can't wait to share it with you. Stay safe, talk to each other, and as always, till next time.